vintage and celebrate the grace and charm of an earlier era. I'm your host, Jennifer Leo, and this is episode 26, and it's February 8th, 2020, as I record this. I took a break from podcasting in January to polish up my forthcoming novel, Moondrop Miracle, and send it off to the editor. That was quite an undertaking, but now it's with the editor, and until I get it back, I need to keep myself very, very busy. Otherwise, I'll keep hoping she's loving the story while at the same time worrying that she's hating it. Chances are the truth falls somewhere in between, but hopefully leaning toward the positive side. Anyway, it's best not to think about it at all until I get her edits back and can actually do something about it. Given that Valentine's Day is coming up in about a week, I would like to talk to you about that, how it's been celebrated in the past and how you can celebrate it today. If you aren't in a marriage or a dating relationship, please don't tune out this episode. I mean, a message for you as well. Who was Valentine anyway? Well, he was a priest or a bishop of some sort in 3rd century Rome during the reign of Claudius II. Claudius had the brilliant notion that men would make better soldiers if they were all single and celibate. Possibly he thought that men without family ties would be less distracted from military work or even maybe that the man wouldn't leave behind a family if he were killed in battle. In any case, as a result of Claudius's new theory, he banned marriage for young men. This, understandably, did not sit well with the young men, nor with Valentine. So rather than go along with the new law, the friendly priest carried on performing marriage ceremonies for the young people who sought them. This, of course, did not sit well with Claudius, who was appalled when he found out what was going on, and he had poor Valentine executed. But not before, as legend has it, The jailed Valentine was able to cure the jailer's daughter of blindness. Either the same or possibly a different Valentine was credited with healing a nobleman's son who was choking on a fishbone. In some countries, um, people pray to this Valentine to cure epilepsy. And another legend around St. Valentine was that he was imprisoned and sent a message to a loved one signed from your valentine, which is now the traditional sign-off greeting of um, valentine cards. Some believe Valentine's Day is celebrated in February because that's when Valentine was martyred. Another theory says that Valentine's Day was the Christianized version of a Roman feast called Lupercalia. I hope I'm saying that right. This was also held in February. This feast honored the Roman deities Pan and Juno and was heavy on fertility rites. Part of the ceremony was to put the names of young women into a box from which they were drawn at random by young men, who would then become their special admirers, at least in theory. Early Christians disliked this practice and changed it to putting the names of different saints into the box, instead of the young women's names. So the young men would choose a saint's name instead of a woman and aim to emulate the characteristics of that saint throughout the year. 
Needless to say, this custom didn't really catch on, to put it mildly, as emulating a church father didn't hold the appeal of being linked up with a flesh-and-blood young woman. In any case, by the 16th century, all eligible young people, both men and women, could select a name from the respective box um, for the right gender. And they would be symbolically paired for the year, during which they acted as a knight and a lady to each other, meaning the knight was bound to the honor and defense of the lady, for which she repaid him in smiles and silk favors when silk was obtainable. Um, the process was carefully watched over by parents and guardians to assure they didn't become overly friendly. And just because someone was your valentine was no guarantee that um, you would end up marrying that person. Um, but some of them, I'm sure, did. Eventually, the custom of drawing names from boxes gave way to the selection of one's own valentine. Writing in the late 17th century, Samuel Pepys recalled a custom where the first person you saw on Valentine's Day became your valentine. He tells a funny story of his wife who, wanting to assure that Samuel would be the first man she saw, and hence her valentine, kept her eyes averted all day from some painters who were doing work in the couple's dining room. She didn't want to clap eyes on the wrong man and end up with the wrong valentine. Of course, that was all in fun. In the February 1929 edition of Modern Homemaker magazine, the editor says this about Valentine's Day. Let us think and say and do the kindest possible to and of others, rejoicing in their happiness and success as in our own. We get back in double measurement that which we give out in thought and word and deed. Sure, you can go out with your sweetheart and spend a lot of money on a fine dinner, but you could also throw a special party for your friends. A galantine party, some have called it. In the February issue, I guess it's the February 1909 issue of New Idea magazine, Mary Foster suggests a buffet for such a party that includes fruit ambrosia salad, creamed oysters in pastry hearts, and an intriguing dish called Hearts Frozen in Jealousy, which turned out to be individual ices molded in small heart-shaped molds, then served on pale green plates. A more modest Valentine luncheon menu, better suited for the lean year of 1933, included a fruit cup, creamed chicken in a potato puff, raspberry parfait, and pink and yellow mints. And finally, of course, what would Valentine's Day be without the exchange of cards? With the advent of cheaper postage in the 19th century, the custom arose that people of all ages, both men and women, should exchange cards and letters, either comic or sentimental. Apparently, inside London's British Library, there is a manuscript of the first printed Valentine's message. I'm not sure exactly when that appeared. But fast forward a couple hundred years and Valentine's Day cards started being mass-produced by the thousands. In the 1840s in America, cards were being manufactured with lace, ribbons, and other pretty decorations. 
There are now around 1 billion Valentine's Day cards purchased every year, of which some 85% are bought by women. This shouldn't be a great surprise, as women do most of the card buying for the family. While a man may buy a card for his wife or sweetheart, she in turn will buy one for him, as well as their children and grandchildren and other random relatives and friends and teachers and dog sitters and who knows. So that's a lot of cards. And that brings me kind of to my point today, which is that these days, Valentine's Day, in my opinion, belongs to everybody. No longer is it simply a holiday for romantic partners. I encourage you to spread some love to your friends and neighbors, perhaps a lonely teenager you know, or an elderly person of your acquaintance. Buying cards and candy is big business this time of year, but you don't have to participate in the buying frenzy if you don't want to. Design and write your own cards, or bake some homemade bits of goodness to share. Or don't buy anything at all, but make a phone call to brighten someone's day. Or do an act of kindness or an act of service to make someone feel cared for and cherished. Recently, I saw a suggestion to visit an animal shelter on Valentine's Day and give the animals some love and attention, and maybe a donation of toys or blankets or food. Being an animal lover myself, I think that's a lovely idea. If you observe Valentine's Day, what's your favorite way to celebrate? I'd love to hear about it. Feel free to leave a comment at sparklingvintagelife.com forward slash podcast under episode 26. And I will be back in a moment with today's grace note. Today's grace note is a poem called An Old Valentine, written by Grace Knoll Crowell. It appeared in the February 1933 issue of Needlecraft magazine, and it struck me as something that would appeal to all you sparkling vintage spirits out there. So here it is, An Old Valentine. No shop today holds anything as fine as this old valentine. The years have yellowed its frail lace, but still, a shepherdess with airy grace stands tiptoe on the water's brink. Her hair is gold, her cheeks are pink, her fluted ruffles blurred by time, once were a lovely lavender. Dainty and sweet she stands, and there across the stream with outstretched hands, a shepherd boy, with laughter on his lips, his hair a toss is reaching eagerly to help her cross. Years come and go, loves flame and die, and many a silver stream runs dry. But never this, the stepping stones remain. These two are sweethearts still. The rust and stain have left undimmed the luster and the shine of young love in this sweet old valentine. Happy Valentine's Day to you. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. And check back soon when I'll share another aspect of A Sparkling Vintage Life.